0: Hey friends, today I'm going to share a personal story that I've alluded to a number of times on the podcast about my own nutritional journey and about starving myself to climb harder, quite frankly. And I want to share it here for a number of reasons. First, because I have made vague references to it and to other personal diet experiments in past episodes, and I get questions from time to time from listeners wanting to know more. And also because I expect that my story will help make eating disorders in the context of climbing and athletic performance a little bit more relatable for some of you. And hopefully I can help someone out there avoid what has undoubtedly been the biggest setback I have ever experienced, Uh, certainly in my climbing. And probably in my life, it's been kind of a trip to go through. So I guess I'll just begin at the beginning and share my story. And then at the end, I will share some of the key points and lessons I've taken away from this, as well as where I'm at now with this and how I'm thinking about things like diet and nutrition and body weight moving forward as I continue to pursue my own climbing goals. Because I definitely am still thinking about it. And I think the context is really helpful. Uh, This sort of thing certainly would have helped me when I was lost down the rabbit hole. Okay, so this all started in the fall of 2017. So about three and a half years ago, and it began with reading a book by Tim Ferriss, which will be ironic to some of you. And I want to be clear that I don't fault the book at all for what eventually happened. It was simply the starting point of the story. Uh, the book is called Four Hour Body, and it's kind of a minimalist guide to all things physical improvements. So how to lose body fat effortlessly, how to build muscle more quickly, etc. And what the book did really well and what it did for me was it got me to start challenging the assumptions I had about my body and my body type and helped me believe that I had the power to change things about my body by making a few changes to my diet and lifestyle. And I really came to believe that I had the power to change some of the things that many of us assume are fixed by our genetics. And I felt really excited about that. So a key part of my story is that I had been living in Bend, Oregon at the time near Smith Rock, and Smith was my local crag. I'd been living there for years. And without realizing it, that had a major impact on how I perceived hard rock climbing, and more specifically, what I thought I needed to look like to be able to climb 5.14. Smith Rock is kind of weird in that you can go a long way with a high finger strength to body weight ratio and stiff shoes and good footwork, and you really don't need your body to be all that strong. So a lot of the top climbers at Smith tend to be tall and lanky or just really wiry and thin. It also has one of the deepest histories of performance climbing in America, which dates back to an age where many of the top performers in our sport were borderline anorexic and to this day i think that still influences the culture at smith at least there is still some residue left behind from that so my paradigm of what hard climbing looked like was pretty fucked up to be honest living at smith i remember the first time i climbed in rifle colorado I was completely shocked at how big and muscular all of the strong climbers were, and it was a pretty eye-opening experience for me. It sounds weird, but I really don't think I believed that you could look normal and muscular and strong and climb as hard as these guys and gals in rifle were climbing because I thought you had to be light. The point is I had always idolized the really lean, wiry look in other climbers. Um, I'm naturally pretty muscular for a climber and have always put on muscle very easily, even when I don't want to. Uh, My friends and climbing partners would often compliment me on my muscles and some were even envious, but I always kind of wished I was smaller and had that like lean and wiry look that I idolized so reading tim's book i started to wonder if it was in fact possible for me to look that way and one of the first steps in the chapter on fat loss was to invest some cash in a reliable body fat scan of some kind tim's a huge believer in measuring things to know if you're actually making progress or not and i had never had my body fat tested before and i had no idea where i was at so Mm I decided to do my very first DEXA scan. DEXA is widely considered the gold standard in body composition analysis, and it was originally developed to measure bone density for patients with osteoporosis and could only be found in clinics and hospitals, but it can also be used to measure fat mass in different parts of your body and can tell you your total body fat percentage. And in fact, nowadays, if you live in a big city, you can find companies that have these machines that only use them to measure people's body composition. So, you know, picture going into a clinic and lying down on this weird table in your underwear with your feet taped together and holding completely still for two to three minutes as this scanning arm passes over you and basically does like a lawn mowing pattern in the air above you scanning back and forth across the length of your body and then they print out a packet of information that tells you your body fat percentage and where you store body fat and all that sort of stuff so i started looking into this and it turns out the only dexa in town was at the bend memorial clinic i saw on their website that they offered a full body composition analysis for a hundred bucks So I drove straight there as soon as I got off work and wandered around the clinic until I found the right department. And the whole experience from that point on was kind of sketchy, honestly. They had a DEXA machine, but they had only used it for bone density scanning for patients with osteoporosis, and none of the nurses really seemed to know what I was asking about. Uh, You know, one of the nurses thought that Cheryl might know, so she brought her in. Someone had apparently trained her on how to do body comp scans, but it had been a few years, but she knew where the binder was with the instructions, and I remember her pulling out this binder from under a stack of other binders, and it was all dusty, and she seemed like she kept getting lost in the computer software as she was trying to get the machine ready. Long story short, in hindsight, I got a bad scan. I got a scan that was significantly inaccurate. Uh, The first scan came back and told me that I was around 18% body fat, which in hindsight was probably pretty close to double what I actually was at the time. I have no way to be sure, but knowing what I know now, I was probably closer to 10%, maybe 11, but probably not any higher than that. I'm just under five foot 10 and I weighed about 150 pounds at the time. And I still have that original scan and it showed my total body masses 151 pounds and said that 26 pounds of that was fat, putting me at about 17 or 18% body fat. And I was really skeptical, that seemed pretty high, but I asked some questions and the nurse assured me that you know DEXA was the gold standard and that it was probably correct within a percentage or two. and Frankly, I didn't know any better. I had never been tested before. And I had always been kind of bulky for my height compared to a lot of other climbers. And I'd always had that kind of softer muscular look instead of being lean and shredded like some of my friends. And I remember thinking, huh, like maybe I have a lot of intramuscular fat, or maybe I have some kind of visceral fat that you can't see or who knows, but I guess I'm fatter than I thought I was. And that's really interesting. And I think what really made me believe it is that deep down, I actually wanted it to be true. And I say that because for a long time, I had been really frustrated with my training and my progress in climbing. I always felt like I was training harder than pretty much everyone I knew. And by harder, I mean, not just suffering more, but really putting a lot more thought into my training and doing all the things I thought I was supposed to do to help my recovery and being a lot more disciplined and making more sacrifices than everyone around me and the results were barely a fraction better than all my friends who were just getting out climbing and drinking beer and eating pizza and just not really caring that much and I cared a lot and I was giving up a lot and I had always felt like something was wrong with me. Like there was something I was missing that if I could just solve it, all the pieces would finally click into place. So when I got the scan that said I had 26 pounds of fat on my body, I crunched the numbers and realized that, wow, I could literally lose half of that 13 pounds and still be at what pretty much any medical professional would consider a sustainable body fat percentage, you know, like 8 or 9%. I've read that most males don't experience any hormonal problems or face any risks until they're way down at like 5 or 6%, depending on their size and muscle mass and things like that. So it felt like I had finally found this missing piece that I had been looking for. I wasn't getting the results I wanted because I was carrying 13 extra pounds of dead weight on my body that wasn't doing anything for me. So from that point on, I became kind of obsessed and losing that weight really became like my primary avenue for improvement. I was 151 pounds and when I got the scan, I figured I had 13 pounds of fat to lose without even really getting close to something that might be risky or dangerous. And, you know, you subtract 13 from 151 and you get 138. And that number, 138 pounds, became my goal. It was the key to finally unlocking my frustration. And it was the key to finally looking like the climbers who I idolized. And in my mind, it was the key to finally climbing 514 something I had been working at for years. And I really felt like if I could reach 138 pounds, then the sky was the limit. So one thing I wanna reiterate here at this point is that I had never felt bad about how I looked or how much I weighed before any of this. I had never cared. I had always been happy with how I looked. I really didn't care that much. I thought it was kind of fortunate that I loved rock climbing and that climbing kept me looking pretty fit and pretty good, but I just didn't think about it much. It was never really a thing. And as far as weight goes, I think before this I had always hovered around 150, maybe 155 pounds as a climber and that always seemed fine. In hindsight, I think I have always been afraid of getting heavier as long as I have been a climber, even if the weight was in the form of functional muscle mass. And I want to circle back to that towards the end. But even though I was afraid of gaining weight, I had always been pretty content with where I was at and had never thought I should be lighter. It was really just this idea that I had discovered some important piece of information that was going to help me unlock a level that I had struggled to reach. And it was that same silver bullet sort of thinking that I've talked about on the podcast that I am a sucker for. Like, this is going to be the thing. So at that point is when I started dieting. Immediately after that scan, I started a diet that Tim Ferriss laid out in the 4-Hour Body called the Slow Carb Diet. I started that in October. And by Thanksgiving... I was already down to around 140 pounds, and I was psyched. I had never looked that way in my life. I was lean and wiry and small, but I still wasn't at my goal of 138, so I kept going. I kept doing this slow carb diet until around January, then I transitioned to low-carb and did that for a month, then keto and ultimately followed a strict ketogenic diet for about four months from early March until the middle of June or late June of 2018. And I never saw 138 on the scale. I think the lowest I got was 139 a couple days, but most of that time I hovered around 142 or 143, somewhere in there. I remember starting in February or March I really started to suffer some of the consequences of undereating for a long period of time. I was getting a lot of signals from my body, a lot of red flags. I talked about this a little bit in my conversation with Dave McLeod recently, but on that ketogenic diet, I was calculating everything based on what I thought my lean mass was and what I thought my body fat percentage was and I was drastically underestimating the energy that I was burning off climbing and training. And one of the reasons why the ketogenic diet works so well for a lot of people is that you don't really feel hungry ever. And it's really easy to under eat on accident, which is why people lose so much weight and generally feel better after they've been on the diet for a while if they're starting from an overweight baseline. So for me, I was making a lot of my decisions based on bad information. I thought I had more body fat to lose than I actually had. And I was chasing a number on a scale that was lower than where my body wanted to go. So around the beginning of May, I ended up going back into the Ben Memorial Clinic and getting a second DEXA scan. It had been over six months since my first scan. I think this was in late April or early May. And I was down around 140 pounds. And I remember thinking, I've got to be really close to my goal. I was 151 when I started, and now I'm 140. I must be getting really close to single-digit body fat. So I went in for the second scan, same clinic, same DEXA, and the results were almost identical to the first scan. According to the second scan, I had only lost a little over a pound of fat. I had gone from 26 pounds of fat mass to 24 and a half or something and my body fat percentage had gone down one percent it said I was still over 16 percent at 140 pounds and at that point I just remember thinking there is absolutely no way that this can be accurate I was the smallest I'd ever been I was the lightest I'd ever been and I was shredded If I looked in the mirror and flexed my abs, I could see veins on my abdomen. I could see muscle striations all over my body that I had never seen before. And it just seemed like there was no way these numbers that I was looking at on this DEXA report could even be close to reality. So I decided to get a second opinion. I was doing a trip up to Seattle for Memorial Day to go climbing at Little Psy. And I drove an extra hour out of my way to go visit a company called Dexafit in downtown Seattle. Dexafit is one of those companies I described earlier that offer Dexa exclusively for measuring people's body composition and body fat. And it's what they do all day, every day. And they're really good at it and they're really dialed in. So I knew I could trust them. And I went in there. And this is just a week or two after that second scan at the clinic in Bend. So my body fat had not changed in any significant way. And at that time, I was still following a ketogenic diet. And I got scanned at DexaFit. They actually measured me with Dexa. And they also measured me with this Fit 3D body scanning thing that was new that they offered for first-time clients. And both of those scans from two totally different methods told me that I was around 8% body fat. I believe the DEXA report said I had something like 12 and a half pounds of total fat mass on my body. So literally half of the body fat percentage and the total fat mass that the scan and bend had told me just a week or two prior. So that was really crazy. I remember feeling a really strange mix of emotions when I saw that. I was kind of elated because I had had this goal in my mind for months and I was obsessed with it. And in that moment, looking at that scan, I realized that I was already at my goal. I had likely been at my goal for several months already. And at the same time, there was all of this confusion. I felt like my entire world had been flipped upside down because all of my decisions I had been making for the last six months were all based on some data that turned out not to be true. I had felt like I had had this clear purpose for the last six months and I had become addicted to it the same way that progress in climbing can be addicting. You know, the feeling that we all fall in love with in climbing, of doing a move that you couldn't do the season before, or climbing a grade harder. My progress or my proxy for improvement became a number on a scale. And finding out that I had been at my goal for months and had been chasing a ghost was really disorienting. I didn't really know where to go from there. I remember feeling like I was a character in a movie who had just woken up to the fact that nothing in his life was what it seemed. I remember climbing at Little Sight over those next few days after visiting Dexafit and becoming really aware of how weak I was. It was the first trip I had done away from Smith since I had started dieting. And I had had a really good season at Smith. I had just climbed my second 13D and done some other 513s really quickly. And on paper was climbing the best I ever had. But this was my first experience climbing on a different style since dieting. Little sigh for those who haven't been. It isn't terribly steep, but the climbing feels really burly. And the route I was trying is characterized by a lot of burly and core-intensive and bicep-intensive moves on underclings and pretty good holds that all seem to face the wrong way. And I had done a harder version of the route over Labor Day weekend the year before, and this time I was trying a link-up that was easier and was just getting my ass kicked on it. And I remember thinking, wow, I am really light right now and my finger strength is really good relative to my weight, but I am weaker. I've been training all winter, and I just climbed a 13D at Smith, and this burly 13A feels way harder than it did in September, when I weighed 10 pounds more than I do now. And that was really the first of several kind of powerful realizations that hit me over the next few months. After that trip over Memorial Day, I went back down to Smith. I had been trying this 14A at Smith called Badman. And I figured I had another month of season before it got too hot. And I threw myself at the route. I ended up getting really close, but I didn't do it. And at the end of that, I just remember... I tried it up until my birthday, which is in the middle of June. And at that point, it was clearly getting too hot. And I knew it was time to throw in the towel for the season. And I just felt totally spent. I remember feeling like, God, I've been working my ass off to be lean. I've been scrutinizing every single thing that I've eaten for the last six months. I've been taking cold showers every day. I've been intermittent fasting. I've been doing all of these things and it wasn't enough. So maybe it's time to start looking somewhere else. So then my birthday came, and I decided I would just go out for a nice celebratory meal, eat a burger, eat some ice cream, which I hadn't done in six months or more. And I remember thinking that I would just relax for a day and then just go right back on the diet after that. It still hadn't really sunk in that something needed to change. And that kicked off kind of the next chapter, which was definitely the hardest part of the whole thing for me my body had had enough. In hindsight, I think I had been pretty close to single digit body fat even before I started dieting and had lost a lot of muscle in trying to lose weight and had likely been under eating for close to six months. And I had been experiencing these weird waves of lethargy and fatigue, and it happened gradually enough that I was in denial about some pretty clear red flags. Thinking back, I can remember being at work and having to psych myself up to walk up the stairs to my cubicle. And I remember driving to Smith Rock after work and sitting in my car and trying to psych myself up to get out of the car to grab my pack to hike in. And I just felt so tired. I I remember sitting there telling myself, okay, five minutes, in five minutes, you're gonna get up out of this car and you're gonna grab your bag and you're gonna walk in. And it's fascinating. Somehow I convinced myself that that was just normal, that I was just tired from working. And by the time my birthday came around, I think my hormones were kind of screwed up and my body was in a little bit of starvation survival mode. And I remember after my birthday, I just kind of couldn't stop eating. I gained weight really quickly and I felt like I had broken inside, like I could no longer keep the dragon in its cage. And from there, I pretty quickly slipped into some pretty unhealthy patterns of binging and restricting, where One day, my willpower would totally break down, and I'd go buy a bunch of junk food at the grocery store and eat it in the parking lot sitting in my car. And then I'd try to make it up over the next week or two and be really tight with my diet and really restrictive and do a bunch of fasting. And then it would happen again. And my weight kept going up and up and up. And I remember really feeling like a failure. And this was so interesting. I had never cared much about my weight before, as I said, and I'd certainly never cared how I looked. But all of a sudden, after this experience of getting really lean, it was like I had created a new baseline in my head. And it was really fascinating to kind of witness myself develop body dysmorphia. I had never experienced that in the past, but all of a sudden, anything more than 140 pounds and just totally shredded actually looked fat to me. And I remember having women at work at my engineering job complimenting me almost every day, like, wow, what have you been doing? You're filling out. You're looking good. Have you been lifting? You know, just giving me compliments because I was filling out a little bit and just looking healthier. And I remember feeling embarrassed and ashamed and wanting to cover up my arms because they were getting bigger. And I felt like, I felt like how I looked represented my failure to maintain control. Over the next 18 months or so, I gained weight really quickly and I shot all the way up to over 160 pounds from 140, up as high as 168, I think, or maybe 170 at the highest. So I gained about 30 pounds back in about 18 months. And I was also climbing through this whole thing. And many of you listening to this will know what it feels like to attach 10 pounds to your body when you're trying to hangboard or what it feels like to put on a 10-pound weight vest and try to climb boulders. And gaining 30 pounds in a year and a half makes climbing feel insanely difficult. And I struggled with a lot of weird little tweaks and injuries. I got a couple finger injuries during that time because I was climbing heavier. And I remember getting a really severe case of elbow tendinitis that made me have to quit for an entire summer in 2019, I believe. And it was just kind of one thing after another, and I felt like I had to relearn how to climb in a new body. I felt like a clunky gorilla. I didn't feel light and smooth and flowy like I had in the past. I just felt like a lumbering giant, even though I was, you know, all of 165 pounds. But it was really, really hard. Climbing was really, really hard for the better part of two years. It's been almost three years at this point, and I am just now finally in the last six months or so feeling like I'm getting back to my previous ability level and getting close to my previous peak. It has been a really humbling thing to meet new people and to not feel like the climber that I had been in the past and to be climbing at a lower level, including some of my heroes in the past year doing this podcast. I'm still struggling with that, and it feels really humbling. But eventually, I started to notice a few things that ultimately helped me snap out of it and reframe the whole thing. I started to notice that I was getting way, way stronger. Like I said, I'd always been frustrated with my training and feeling like I was working really hard and not making much progress. And what I started to notice was that As I gained weight, I was getting stronger and improving my strength faster than ever before. I think in that two-year period when I was gaining weight, my finger strength improved more than it ever had in that kind of time frame. And I gained so much weight that my strength-to-weight ratio was still lower than it had been when I was light. In fact, it's still catching up. But I also have kept track of progress over all the years, and I never thought I could put on 30 pounds and have my fingers adapt so quickly. So that was the first really eye-opening thing. And then I started noticing that I seemed to be getting all of these messages from the universe telling me to stop fighting my body type. It seemed like that theme was popping up everywhere I looked. I remember that Matt Fultz was all over the climbing news at the time. I think he had just moved to Colorado and was on a sending spree. And I just remember thinking, huh, he's about the same weight as me, and he's jacked, and he's climbing on some of the smallest holds in the world. And his fingers are clearly about twice as strong as mine, so maybe mine have the potential to get a lot stronger than I thought. I remember reading a post from Lattice Training on Instagram about hangboard training. I think it was titled, The Five Most Common Reasons Why You're Not Progressing on the Hangboard, or something like that. And I think the first one was staying too lean too much of the year. They were saying that they had noticed a clear trend in their data that people who stayed too lean really had a hard time getting strong. That was another light bulb moment for me. So what that all led to was a pretty significant reframing. I got to a point where I was climbing harder than I ever thought would be possible at 165 pounds and eventually my weight leveled off and I stopped getting heavier, but I was still eating the same amount and eating more protein on a consistent basis than I ever had in my life. And I just had more energy again. And I started looking stronger and feeling stronger again. And I started recovering better. And I started to wonder what would happen if I continued this? Could I climb 514 at 165? If I could, my fingers would certainly be way stronger than I ever thought possible. Could I climb V10 again at 165 pounds? Well, yeah, I did that pretty quickly, actually. Could I climb V11? or V12. And the whole thing kind of did a 180 in my mind where instead of focusing on this silver bullet idea of how awesome I could be if I lost 13 pounds, I flipped the focus to this question of how strong would I get if I continued to train without dropping weight. And that reframe has been incredibly powerful. In fact, I still try to keep that in my mind to this day. So what did I learn from this and was it worth it? I had a friend of mine ask me that because after all, I did climb what is still my hardest route when I was 140 pounds. I think the most important takeaway for me is don't fight your body type. I realized that I have been fighting against my body type as long as I've been a sport climber for the past six or seven years, maybe longer. And as I said, I never really cared how I looked before I got the DEXA scan, and I was never self-conscious about weight, but I was always restricting food in these small and subtle ways. And I don't know if that came from moving to Smith or from the sport climbing culture in general, but I had this idea in my mind that I wasn't built correctly for sport climbing, And I was living under this assumption that I had to stay as light as possible. And now at 165 pounds, which is where my weight has leveled off for the past year or so, I truly believe that my hardest climbing is ahead of me. And it really seems as though my body is getting stronger and responding better to training than it ever has in the past. And it's funny, but now I can't help but wonder if a lot of my frustration with training in the past was connected to that, to fighting my body type and restricting food in these subtle ways and likely eating a less than optimal amount of calories and protein through those years of training. Of course, I'll never know, but I am excited for this next chapter and to see just how strong I can get. I do meet a lot of people who are afraid to eat protein on some level or they just under eat calories because they think that muscle will make them too heavy to climb. And these are often climber friends who are similar to me, who maybe started climbing late and their fingers are their weakest link. And I would just want to pass on to them what I wish I had heard, which is that your fingers will absolutely adapt. It's crazy. It's almost like magic, but if you climb heavier, your fingers will adapt and they'll become way stronger than you ever thought they could. And it might take some time. They won't adapt overnight or in a single week, but there will come a time when you will start to feel even lighter than you did before. And your body will thank you for giving it what it needs. So again, don't fight your body type. And was it worth it? The answer is no. This turned out to be a major setback for me that lasted for almost three years. And sure, I sent a couple hard routes for me, but those routes are nowhere near the peak that I ultimately hope to reach in my climbing. And I feel like I lost three years rebounding from that when I could have been pushing forward into new ground. There is a silver lining. I am grateful for the lessons I've taken from this, and I wouldn't change anything. Uh, Because in a roundabout way, this story led me to this podcast and everything I'm doing now. But if you're wondering if starving myself was worth a couple of hard sends, the answer is a pretty hard no. It was a rough couple years, and... I'm still working on deconstructing and changing some of the stories that I've been telling myself over the past three years about being a failure and not having what it takes to stick to things that I set out to do. So no, I wouldn't do it again. (laughs) Another takeaway for me is that eating disorders can develop in a lot of different ways. A lot of climbers, especially climbers listening to this, are very focused people, very driven people. I'm sure a lot of you guys resonate with that. And I hope my story serves as a cautionary tale for you. I certainly never thought this was something that could happen to me. And I hope this story helps you avoid the same pitfall. The last takeaway I want to highlight is that this topic of food and body weight in climbing really is uniquely difficult because we have to eat every day. And because at some level, I think how we eat does matter. So it's tricky. It's a fine line between being thoughtful about what you eat to give your body what it needs and obsessing over what you eat or how much you eat. So, what do we do with that? And how do we navigate all of this moving forward? I think it depends on the person and the situation. For me personally, I do think bringing some level of thoughtfulness to how I eat is really helpful in navigating the world that we live in today. And I have found that if I have a framework for how I eat and stick to some habits and routines, I find that incredibly freeing. I find that that really helps me remove a pretty significant cognitive load, and I don't have to make decisions all the time about what to eat or how much. So I eat a lot of similar things every day. I eat similar meals, and those meals are based around really high-quality meat and eggs and some fruits and vegetables and raw honey, things like that. And that's about all I buy at the grocery store, and what I cook for myself. But I'm also not being strict. i found that that has been a really helpful shift for me. If I get invited out to eat with a friend, I'll get a burger and some fries. I like sweet potato fries, personally, with yellow mustard. And if someone invites me over for dinner, I'll eat whatever is on the menu, because I know that most of my meals are going to be foods that I like, That are good for me. And if I make a few exceptions here and there, it's probably not a big deal. But on the other hand, and this is why I said it depends, I know many people, I can think of several close friends of mine who have struggled with disordered eating in the past, who can't afford to be restrictive at all with their diet because it is still too slippery a slope. And they very quickly find themselves sliding backwards into old and dangerous patterns. So for them, maybe the answer is different. Maybe the answer is to just enjoy food and not overthink it. I truly don't know. But if it feels hard, there's nothing wrong with you. It's a journey. And there may be some missteps along the way. Hopefully by sharing this, I can help you avoid one of the biggest missteps that I've taken. So where am I at now? As I said, my weight has leveled off around 165 pounds and has remained the same for the past year or so. I'm slowly getting back to my previous peak in my own climbing, and I'm hoping to climb my first V11 and 514 here shortly in the next few months and break some new ground for the first time in quite a long time. And I'm really excited to do some training again this summer and see how much stronger I can get now that my weight has stabilized. And having said all of that and with the risk of completely contradicting myself I also want to say that I probably will cut a little weight at some point in the future for some important projects. I really enjoyed my conversation with Matt Foltz last summer, episode 39 of the podcast, if you're curious. And I was really inspired by his approach and the amount of thought that he puts into what he eats and the way that he targets certain seasons or trips or projects and cuts a little bit of weight to be at his peak but then lets himself relax and return to his baseline when it's time to get stronger. I think that's really interesting and it's something I'd like to experiment with in the future, but I don't think I'll ever go much below 160 pounds ever again. And if I do experiment with that, it will be really important to me to keep that framing in my mind where I'm going to get stronger if I let myself spend most of my time training and climbing at 165 pounds. As far as what I'm eating nowadays, I have been following the recommendations of many of the guests I have had on the show and keeping my protein pretty high every day. I shoot for about a gram of protein per pound of body weight per day as a baseline, and I might go above that some days. I'm eating somewhat low carb, but not super low carb. I seem to feel and perform the best when I keep carbohydrates around 200 grams per day, or a little lower than that on rest days, at least for bouldering. I'll probably continue to play with that as I move around and climb in different areas. And I eat as much fat as I need to feel full. I honestly don't know how much I eat per day but I just buy fatty meat and cook with butter and that seems to be working pretty well for me right now. These are not recommendations. This is just what is working for me right now in case you're curious. I know that I would want to know if I were on the other side of this recording. And if you feel like this nutrition stuff is something you wanna explore, then do it wisely. Maybe consult someone like Katie Lambert or Haley Franklin Fultz, someone who has more experience with this stuff. And if you decide to go get a DEXA scan, maybe get a second opinion. Or go somewhere like DEXAFIT that has a good track record and a lot of experience. Okay, I hope something in there was helpful or at least interesting. I'd be happy to answer any questions. If you guys have anything, feel free to reach out either on Instagram or through email. You can find both of those on the website. I'd be absolutely happy to answer questions or add more clarification if needed. And I wish you all the best of luck with your own journeys. I appreciate you guys. Much love to all of you.